Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, if you would. Revelation chapter 3. We are going to finish up our, our series, The Seven Churches of Revelation, where we have been going through uh, the letters that uh, were delivered from John, uh, but really from the Lord Jesus to these churches. And uh, we're going to end today with Laodice- Laodicea. Um, before we get into the full uh, text today, I want to just go through a little bit of a recap and, and kind of remind us that, uh, that, and hopefully you don't need the reminder, hopefully your, your heart, like mine, has been um, stirred and challenged in many ways. I think as we look at this text, what we're seeing is, is Jesus knocking on our door, like, hey, listen, I want you to wake up, I want you to examine your heart, I want you to examine your motives, I want you to, to really reveal and be honest about what you believe and what you tolerate. Those are, those are things that he's, he's been challenging us with. And so he continues that challenge today with the church at Laodicea. There's actually no approval here at all, no like, hey, way to go, well done, you're doing amazing. And so it's kind of one of those sad notes to end on, but I think it's a, a good reflective note to end on for us as well. Uh, before we get to that, again, going just through these churches, uh, at Ephesus, this was the loveless church, and Jesus revealed, he said, I know what and who you love. I know what and who you love. Again, very revealing. Like, I could say that as a title. I could say that as a, a phrase. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's true. But when you look in the mirror or when you look face-to-face in Jesus and he looks at you and says, listen, I know who and what you really love. That's a big challenge for us. And hopefully it's like, yeah, it's you. I love you. And I want all that is you. And, and, of course, he's exposing the ways and maybe the things that we love that aren't of him. In Smyrna, the suffering church, we, he said this, I, I know what you're willing to suffer for. And, and, and certainly this church suffered a lot for the, for the gospel. Uh, they, they held fast to Jesus, and, and although they suffered, they had a reward in heaven. They, they knew that it was greater, uh, what God was going to provide for them uh, outside of this life was greater than what they, uh, the suffering they would experience inside the li- this life. But I know what you're willing to suffer for. It also reveals, like, I know what you're not willing to suffer for. I know what you're, you're not willing to say because it might be hard or you might be persecuted or you might be looked down upon. I know what you're willing to suffer for. Then at Pergamos, it was the compromising church. He says this, I know, I know what you really believe. You might come and be part of the fellowship. You might nod your head or say an amen once in a while. But ultimately, I know what's really going on in your heart. I know what you're willing to believe. I know what you're, you believe. And I know what you're, what, what's, what's coming in and you're kind of letting it happen. And remember we talked about this church, this is where kind of the, the, the sin and the, and the false doctrine was kind of sneaking in like a snake. And he told this church, you need, to, you need to get rid of that. I know what you really believe. And then we went to Thyatira, which was even worse, and this was the adulterous church. And he says, I know what you're willing to tolerate. In fact, I know what you're, you're saying. This is Nardun doctrine. This is what we're going to believe. Uh, it's okay to be a part of the world and to be immoral and to, to practice uh, sexual morality and and, uh, and idolatry outside and, and bring it inside the church as well. Jesus looks at us and says, I know what you're willing to tolerate. And it should be a challenge to you and I. And then we went to the church at Sardis. He says, I know the reality of your spiritual condition. I know the reality of your spiritual condition. This is the dead church, remember? He says, you look like you're alive, you you have all the reputation of, of life, but you are dead. I know the reality of your spiritual condition. For many that may sit in pews on Sunday morning, that may be you, it may be me. We need to challenge our hearts and let Jesus examine them. Then last week we looked at the church of Philadelphia. This was the faithful church. 
And he said, I know, I know whose kingdom you're committed to. I know whose kingdom you're committed to. And again, a challenge. Are we committed to God's kingdom and what, what he wants to establish and moving forward with that kingdom? Are we, we committed to our own kingdom and what we would establish as our own kingdom? Finally, today in Laodicea, this is the foolish, the foolish church. And we'll be seeing Jesus look at our eyes and say, I know who or what you're depending on. I know who or what you're depending on. And it's so important for us to see that and, and, and for what, what we think we should depend on, especially as Al- Alistair shared about the American church and the American gospel uh, movie night. And, and there's so many ways that the church in America has, has moved to a place of I can depend on me. I can depend on status. I can depend on wealth. I can depend on friendships. And that will get me through. We'll see today how that is not true at all. We're looking at the church at Laodicea. Uh, this is a church uh, in a wealthy city. So Laodicea was a very wealthy place. A lot of, lot of uh, commerce happened there, and people just had wealth. In fact, so much so that when the church, or not church, the, the town, the city, was destroyed by an earthquake. Sound familiar, right? We went and saw that earlier in Philadelphia. But this, this, this uh, town was, was destroyed also. Rome said, hey, listen, we're going to send you a bunch of funds and a bunch of money. We'll take care of you. We'll, re- we'll rebuild. They're like, now nah, we got this. We got the money. Don't, you don't need to send anything. We can take care of ourselves. We are filthy, stinking rich. This is a wealthy area. Again, I want to give you the background of this because Jesus, when he starts to speak in this passage, is going to reflect on the things that are going on in this church and in this city. Uh, it was also a place that they sold glossy black wool cloth, like, like these awesome clothes that was just this textile place. Let's sell these. And, and they made less, a lot of wealth came from that. They also manufactured a, a medical eye salve that was produced there and, and was, was an ointment for the eyes and, and was said to produce healing for the eyes. And that was spread all around from there. Uh, it was also near Heropolis, which was famous for its hot springs. And it was near Colos, which was famous for its very pure cold water. So when you see Jesus talking about hot and cold and lukewarm, you're seeing these references that people would know and understand. So we'll see about, we'll look at their wealth today. We're going to look at their, their clothing, their textile, look at this medical salve, uh, and we'll see the ideas of hot and cold as well as we look at the church at Laodicea, uh, the foolish church. I'm going to pray for us, and we'll get to our text in Revelation 3, verses 14 through 22. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that you love us. God, that you, you care enough for us to, to come to us, and um, God, to expose our heart and to question our heart, and God, to, to make us ask questions and, and examine our own hearts. God, I, I pray that as you do that, that, that we would be willing and ready to receive instruction from you. That, God, our desire would be to, to repent of anything that we thought was worthwhile or of value or set up as our own religious system. And, God, we would turn to faith in you. And, God, that we would be the righteous who live by faith. God, not, not by our own efforts, not by our own abilities because they are as filthy rags so god as we look to the word today uh, we ask that you would open our hearts that you would open our minds that we would be actually receptive and ready to hear and to listen god and to change and conform into the image of the pattern of the son jesus christ it's in his name that we pray amen all right chapter 3 verses 14 through 22 rest of the chapter he says write to the angel of the church in laodicea Thus says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. 
I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not exposed, and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the Word of God. So today we're going to look at just two sections here as we, as we comb through the church at Laodicea, the foolish church. We're going to see the accusation, and then we're going to see the admonition. Okay, So number one, the accusation is this. You are lukewarm and make me want to vomit. That is, can you imagine that? Can you imagine being those who are on the receiving end of that? Jesus says, what you're doing, you make me want to puke. And, and I, I, I hesitated even making that a point because it's kind of like a raw, like, Brandon, is that really within decorum? But listen, as I've, as I've just watched and seen and heard and been in, in conversations with so many people in the last month, and seen so much stuff going, ar- going around, and, and see, seen so many positions, and so many, so many people standing and dying on hills that are not worth dying on. I have literally gone home at night sick to my stomach over it. And that's not for you to have a pity party for me. That's, that's the case, though. When we don't see hot or cold, and it's just lukewarm, and we cover it with whatever we want, it makes me want to puke. And it's not only in the conversations that I have or the things I see or the posts that are on social media. It's in my own life, my own attitudes, my own actions, my own indifference. It makes me want to throw up. And what it should do is make me want to be zealous and repent and run to Jesus. Because what I have and what I've built is really worth nothing compared to what Jesus has done for me. So the accusation is, you are lukewarm, and you make me want to vomit. Let's look at Revelation chapter 3. We'll look at verse 14 first. Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea, Thus says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. Let's talk about that tidily. Jesus always says, this is who I am. And so we want to see why. Why is he the Amen? The Amen. What does Amen mean? Let it be, or so be it, right? We see that in, in Scripture. Like This is important. This is powerful. This is truth. Make it, make it established and firm. When we pray and say amen, we're saying, God, I've just given that to you. Let it be. Let it be. Isaiah chapter 65 says this. It says, whoever asks for a blessing in the land will ask for a blessing by the God of truth. That phrase, the God of truth, is the same word, the Hebrew word for Amen. The God of truth is the amen. And whoever swears in the land will swear by the God of truth, by the amen. For the farmers, uh, for, 
for the former troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my sight. Again, just, just going to God and saying, you are the God of truth. You are the amen. Jesus here is saying that then. He is the God of truth. He says, I am the amen. I am the God of truth. And then Paul would write in 2 Corinthians, he says, for every one of God's promises, and I love this because every one of God's promises, that's everything revealed about the Messiah. Hey, Jesus is going to come. That There's a need and a necessity for you and I to be forgiven, for someone to, to save us from ourself, and that's Jesus Christ. And he said, in all the prophecy that pointed to him and all the promises and covenant, faithful love of God, all of that, Paul says, all of that was pointing to someone. He says this, for all of God's promises is yes in him. Who's the him he's talking about? Jesus. It's, they're all yes in him. Therefore, through him, we also say amen to the glory of God. Everything in Jesus is yes and amen. It is through the person and work of Christ that all of God's promises and all of the prophecies and all of his covenant is fulfilled and guaranteed. It's in Jesus. So when, when the Lord comes to us and says that, how should we take that? Go ahead. How should we take that? Seriously? Yes. How about as a reminder? Yes. How about as an encouragement? Yeah. All of those things. And it depends on where we are in our own heart. Uh, we need to be reminded that this is the Messiah. This is God in the flesh who has come to redeem us, to, to ransom us from our own sin. He's the one that we're going to have to give an account to. There's no one else. And then he goes on, he says he's the originator, right? He's the originator of, of God's creation. It doesn't mean that he was created in any form or fashion. He is the orig originator. Colossians, Paul says, everything that we see was created by Jesus in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. This is Jesus, the yes and the amen, the faithful and true, the creator of everything, and by him all things hold together. So when he comes to the church and says this, he says, listen, I'm the one who made it. I'm the one who makes the rules of creation also. And, and what we see there is, and what we should see swell inside of our heart is this passion and this vigor, this idea of, yes, in him is yes and amen. He's the creator. His way is higher than my way. I'm going to embrace and trust in him, no matter what it costs, no matter what it makes me turn away from. I'm going to go to him. And this church lacked that vigor. This church lacked that zeal, that passion that said it's Jesus and he's everything. So he comes and reminds them, I'm Jesus and I'm everything. But they had no vigor. They also, looking at verses 15 through 16, they had the wrong value. They valued the wrong things. So let's look at verses 15 uh, and 16 here of Revelation 3. It says, I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. You're lukewarm. You don't value anything, right? It, and I would say this. It, it's so much harder to convince someone that's lukewarm, right? The one that's cold at least says, I'm out of here. I'm done. This is ridiculous. I'm, see you later. And, and, and at least in that position, in that total dire rejection, 
they will eventually, prayerfully, on our part, experience the bitterness of that cold. And, how, and then the, the despair of that cold. And how, how much desire inside their heart will, will maybe push them towards repentant faith in Christ. And then the ones that are hot are like, hey, I, Jesus is everything. I, it's him or bust. I've got my bags packed all the time. I'm with you, Jesus. Let's go. And they're just on fire and they're kind of annoying. Right? Because they're always talking about Jesus and how great he is. Like, good grief, you know, settle down. Let's not, you know, but it's, it's true. That's, those are, that's what Jesus is saying. It's like hot or cold. See, the ones in the middle don't value that. They value themselves. They value their own pride, their own ego, their own status, their own way to achieve. And Jesus is like, it makes me want to vomit. It, it even says, kind of going into what they value in verse 16 there, uh, so because, uh, because you're lukewarm, he said, in verse 17, sorry, so for you say, for, this is what the lukewarm say, I'm rich, I become wealthy, and I need nothing. Do you hear that? Do you see how dangerous that is to say? To the God who created the universe. The God who in all, in all of God's promises and blessings and covenant love is in Jesus. And he comes to you and says, hey, I'm here. And you say, I need nothing from you. I'm good. I got this, Jesus. I'll, I might call you if I have a question. That's, that's what lukewarm faith is. It's trusting in yourself, trusting in your own abilities, and it's, it's not okay. Trusting in, 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 in your own, your own quasi-faith. People, all kinds of people say, oh, I, I have faith. I, I have faith. I just live my faith in it my own way. James tells us that our faith will produce something called fruit and works, and that fruit will not be my own fruit. That fruit will not be the world's fruit. That fruit will be the fruit of the Spirit of God. It will look a certain way. James says, he says, hey, if, if uh, faith does not have works, it's dead by itself. Right? Some will say, well, you have faith and I have works, right? There's a, a difference here. It's okay. Uh, he, he says this, show me your faith without works. I dare you. Show me your faith without works. He says, I will show you my faith by my works. Faith, here's why. Here's why you, you can't show faith without works. Right? We talk about the tongue, right? The tongue is the tattletale of the heart. What comes out of us is from within us. So whatever faith we have will be shown in what comes out of us in our works. It's just true. So faith, he, it, James says, I'll show, you, I'll show you my works by my faith, right? I'll show you exactly what comes out of a faith. Faith is this. Faith is not just some wishy-washy feeling like, oh yeah, I have faith, I believe. Faith is active. It's actively trusting God. And that active faith will always produce a fruit. Faith without works is actually not faith at all. It's belief in something else. It's belief in you and your ability. It's actually, here's what it is. It's actually faith in your faith. It's, it's belief in your beliefs. It's not faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus says this in Matthew. He says, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. We see the result here. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Later on, he says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and do miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Th this is, 
This is who he's talking to at Laodicea. And I would say a vast majority of this church, some commentators would say all of them. There's not one person redeemed in this, in this church. And here, here's why they would say that. Jesus isn't even in the church. Where is he standing? At the door and knocking. I, God, I, sh- I hope that that would not happen right there. That Jesus isn't welcome here. He, that there's, no, there's nothing, no one here that is redeemed and thriving. So commentators say that, but yeah, Jesus outside the door says he's hoping for someone to come to faith. I, I think maybe there were more Christians there than, than that. I would be hopeful for that. Is writing to the angel at the church of Laodicea, the pastor, hey, read this to the church. But either the way, that's a strong, strong argument saying, there's a lot of you there. He's saying, a lot of you are lukewarm. You, you say, Lord, Lord, and we'll say, Lord, Lord, and there's no fruit that lines up with it. And when you say that on the last day, I'm going to say, I never knew you. I stood outside the door for years and years and years, and you never opened that door. You never, ever let me in. He wants the church to wake up, and he wants the church to check their heart. See this in Romans. Paul talks about the the Jewish people. He says, "I, I can testify about them that they have zeal for God but not according to knowledge. It's like they, they have their own mind made up of what this should look like, but it's not from the truth of God's word. It's not from the truth of knowing Jesus as Savior. And so he goes on, he says, since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God. They, they, you understand, they're, they're ignorant, they're like, and it goes on, and have attempted to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted to God's righteousness. Here's what this looks like. God, first of all, we have to understand the gospel here, right? That you and I, apart from Jesus, are, are worth, worthless. We are, we are sinful and separated from God. That every one of us is in dire straits. And that we need a Savior. And any work you do, any good works you do to say, hey, I can earn my way, I can do better, I can be better, just look at, wait, give me some time, I'll get there. You are, it is a futile move to try to earn your own way. It is a futile wor- move to try to create your own righteousness and say, look God, look what I did. I'm going to stand before you and show you all how, or show you how good I've been. He'll say it's not enough. But what he offers us is his good enough. He offers us his righteousness. While our righteousness, scriptures say, is as filthy rags, it's dirt, it's just blackened cloth, kind of like what they sold, sold in Laodicea. He says, mine is pure. Mine is the one you want. You, you need me. You need to open that door so you can have my righteousness. And Paul says, listen, they, they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge, because that knowledge would have led them to repentance, to throw off anything that they were trying to achieve or trying to earn and say, God, it's all about you, and I'm going to turn to you in faith and exchange my filthy rags for your righteousness. Again, your belief cannot be in your belief. Your faith cannot be in your faith. It must be in Jesus Christ. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, listen, uh, these these folks who, who... desire to be disobedient and desire to have what they, they want but still believe they are holding on to a form of godliness but they're denying its power and he tells us to avoid those people they hold on to a form of godliness but they deny his power they deny his truth they deny his righteousness you see we, we have to understand this viewpoint then that this type of zeal doesn't only reveal obnoxious hypocrisy because we are far from the truth if we believe in, and live that. But it also nauseates Christ. It also makes him sick. This smug, self-righteous attitude of hypocrites, and they're they are so difficult to reach. I, I mentioned that earlier. Like, I'd rather you were just cold, right? They're, they're in the middle, and they, they think they've got it all taken care of. 
the cold ones, again, they may actually feel the bitter sting of despair and sin, and they may come to faith. But the lukewarm, they have no need for repentance, right? Look at verse 17 again. For, I, for you say, I'm rich, and I have become wealthy, and I need nothing. They have no need. And what they, what they have here is they, they, have, they lack vigor. They valued what was the, the, the wrong values, right? And here they have the wrong vision. Their vision is, I, I don't need anything. I've got it taken care of. My wealth, my status has, has me covered. So in verse 17, you, you, they say they need nothing. And he says, you don't realize. He says to those who would say they need nothing, he says, you don't realize. You are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That's the, that's the accusation against this church. They don't have the vision. They don't, they don't even realize. They don't see. And see, I, I pray for my heart. I pray for your heart. I pray for my children's heart. That the eyes of their heart would be opened. You know, we had Mild Adventure Camp a, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. And great camp. We had a theme, be the light. And I asked the kids, I said, listen, when light comes in, what distinguishes light? What can actually make the light go away? Oh, water, right? Water because it's maybe fire, so you put it out. No, no, it's, it's on. It's, it's Jesus' light. What makes the light go away? What, what is the answer to that? What, what would you say, adults, is the answer? What makes the light go away? What? People? Evil? Okay, what else? The, well, but the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can't overcome it. Right? So, so we think that, though. We think, oh, I'll just turn it off. Oh, there it is right there. You know what makes the light go away? You close your eyes. You become blind. You become, and people walk around this world all the time blind. Bumping into all kinds of things, thinking, oh, it's normal, I'm good. I've got it covered. I don't need you, Jesus. He's wishing that their eyes would become open, that they'd see, and they, they, but they don't realize that they're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Can you imagine walking around like this? Naked? In your shame? I'm good. I'm good. Sorry, don't imagine that. <laughs> I didn't actually want you to. Can you imagine? No. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, you bet. <laughs> oh, that was good. That was so good. Oh. Th think of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler in Matthew 19. He comes to Jesus and like, I, he's like, he comes first of all saying, in the back of his mind, I've got this. I, I've passed all the tests. Jesus is going to accept me so, so much because I am so awesome. He knows this. He thinks this, right? He's like, I've kept all the commandments since I was young. I'm awesome. And, he, and he's like, what do I still lack? Jesus says this, if you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him, go, sell your belongings and give to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. He didn't realize. He was rich. He thought he had it all. Jesus said, no, that's not where you get it all. How did he leave? What, what happened in his heart? He's there thinking Jesus is going to accept me. And then he says that. Go, go sell everything you have. Give to the poor. And then come follow me. When the young man heard that, he went away grieving. Because he had many possessions. He had built himself his own little kingdom, right? Or big kingdom. And he went away sad. What Jesus is saying is this. He says, I'm the real treasure. When you really come to me, you should want me. Because I'm the real treasure. Trade everything. Trade it all. 
for me. Traded all for me. See, they were rich in spiritual pride, but they were bankrupt in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. They claimed faith, but many didn't even know Jesus as Savior. I, I, I don't know about you, I don't, I don't want to be that one that makes Jesus want to puke. I don't want to be lukewarm. Listen, if you're, if you're over the Jesus thing, you're like, I'm not into this, then quit pretending. Just say it. Say it out loud. He'll, he'll honor that more. You're cold. I get it. You don't like it. Fine. Go out and, you're, and live that life. Live that way. But don't sit on the fence. I've told so many people, and I've, I've been told this in my own life, like, like we think, oh, well, there's a stalled middle ground. There is no middle ground. In our faith, in our life, we are either, either moving toward Jesus or we are moving away from him. There is no middle ground. There's no lukewarm, no room for lukewarm. So number two, let's go to number two. What's the admonition? That you should acquire spiritual gold and spiritual clothes and spiritual sight. That's what the Lord Jesus would say. Acquire those things. Acquire spiritual gold, spiritual clothes, and spiritual sight. Look at verse 18 and 19 here. He says, I advise you to buy gold from me, refined in the fire so that you might be rich, white clothes so you might be dressed, and your shameful nakedness not exposed, and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. I want you to just keep your ribbon here. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55. Because Jesus is saying, hey, you need to, to buy the gold from me. Do, do, we, do we have enough money for that? No, we don't, right? And so he's not really saying, you better, you better come with a pretty big bag of, of cash and you better put that down as a payment here because I'm going to require a lot from you. It, we can't, it can't mean that, right? Th this is lost sinners. You and I are, as lost sinners could not buy salvation. We cannot earn it. We cannot achieve it. We cannot buy it. The rich young ruler found that out. It is an invitation, though. This here is an invitation to all who would thirst to come and be filled, to come and be satisfied. So Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water, and you without silver, right? There's, I don't have any money. You without silver, come and buy and eat. Wait, whoa, wait, I can buy something without money? The kids would love that, right? I, I can buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. Do you know why it's without cost? He paid for it. He did it all. That if you and I would turn to him and, and embrace him as our treasure, we don't need to pay for it because he's our treasure and he did it for us already. Verse 2, why do you spend silver on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? You keep buying junk, trying to earn your way, and you can't do it. And here's the remedy. Here's the remedy for you and I. To, if we really want to purchase gold and clothes and salve for our eyes, it says this, listen carefully to me. We, we don't carefully listen to Jesus all that well. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and you will enjoy the choicest foods. He goes on. Here's the, here it is, the remedy. Listen carefully. Next one says in verse 3, pay attention. It says, come to me and listen 
Every, every one of these letters ended with those, those who have ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, right? Remember, if we're walking around with blinders, he's like, pay attention, open your eyes. If you're walking around with, with your ears in your, or your fingers in your ears, unplug your ears and listen. Stop being distracted. Set something aside and focus on the Lord Jesus right in front of you. Pay attention. Come to me. Listen. So that. You know how I love so that. So that you will live. So you will live. I will make a permanent covenant with you on the basis of the faithful kindness of David. Jesus says this. Listen, my kindness is doing this. My graciousness to you is doing this. I'm accomplishing this. I've done the work for you. Please listen to me. Please open your eyes to me. Please hear and believe me. This is what it means to be spiritually rich. Peter, in 1 Peter says, uh, the proven character of our faith is more valuable than gold. So again, faith is more valuable than gold. Proving itself in true belief and true repentance towards Jesus. Paul writes to Timothy. He says, do what is good. Be rich in good works. Uh, be generous and willing to share. Store up treasures for yourself as a good foundation for the coming age. So that. So that. So why do we store up treasures? Why do we do, do good? And why, do we, why, why is that what's rich in our life, acting and living in, by faith? So that they may take hold what is, of tr what is truly life. Take hold of what's true life. The, the Laodicean church and, and any lukewarm person has not taken hold of life. They will ultimately find despair, and they will come to Jesus saying, hey, listen, I, I'm here, I did awesome things. And he's like, I never knew you. you. You need to leave now. I don't want that. Spiritual wealth. We need spiritual wealth, not real wealth. Then we need spiritual clothes. Isaiah chapter 64 says this, all of us have become like something unclean. He knows that. Jesus knows that. Some of us just change clothes and try to cover up without taking a bath. Right? We've all become like something unclean. All of our righteous acts are like polluted garments or filthy clothes. Everything that we're trying to do to earn our way, he's like, that just is filth. It's filth. It's filth. It's dirty. It's, this is a reality check. He's, he's there. He's like, listen, church, lukewarm is not good. Lukewarm is a reality check of your heart. Uh, you, you're in polluted garments. Isaiah 61, it, it goes, I, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I will exalt my God for he. Here's that change. If we have a heart check and know that we are like filthy rags, here's where we go. I rejoice in the Lord. I exalt my God for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. It's not us at all. It's all Him. We go to Him. We go to Him for new spiritual clothes. He says you need spiritual wealth. You need spiritual clothes. We, we, we put our faith and trust in Him for life as our spiritual wealth. And then we let Him, as we put our faith and trust in Him, let Him clothe us with His righteousness. And we put on new spiritual clothes. And we get rid of the old polluted garments. And then spiritual eyes. Acts 26. This missionary journeys and the purpose of sending people to share the gospel. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes that they might turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. 
He's saying, listen, the, the message of the gospel goes out so that eyes can be opened, that people can see who Jesus is, who, who they are and who Jesus is, and they can see their need for him. At Pentecost in Acts 2, Peter preached this amazing sermon talking about the Messiah, and he gave his life to forgive sins, and that, that trusting in him brings, brings everlasting life. And as he preached that, uh, they, the people there in verse 37 of chapter 2, they heard this. It says, they were pierced to the heart. See, when our eyes are opened, our hearts are now ready to be pierced. And I know some of us don't like that. I mean, I, most of us, all of us, like who likes our pierced heart, a pierced heart, right? Who likes conviction? Who likes to be like called out? But when we open our eyes and see him for who he is, he says, listen, you can't ever achieve anymore. Stop trying. There should be such a freedom in that. A pierced heart from open eyes should produce a freedom in you and a freedom in me because we can freely now come to him who has done all the work for us. And we can stop trying to do it on our own. They said that their heart was pierced and they asked them, they said, what should we do? What should I do? And, and we should say, Jesus, what should I do? What should I believe? And Peter replied, repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from your righteousness. Turn from your faith in your faith. Turn, repent, and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. So turn to Christ. Turn away from you and turn to Christ. James exhorts us. He said, didn't, the God, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? God's, God's saying, listen, I, I, you who are poor in faith or poor in spirit have everything in me. And I've promised that you will be with me forever. And we see that going on in, uh, in our text here today as well. So now let's look at verses 20 through 22 of Revelation 3. <clears throat> he says, see, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on, the th on my throne just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. <clears throat> the Lord was indeed outside the church trying to get in. He says, I stand at the door and knock. Look at the next part. If anyone hears. You know, when this letter is written, and we, we've talked about this several times throughout this series, these letters are written to the church. Listen, church, we all need to hear this. We're going to read this. And get in. But it wasn't just on a collective body level, was it? It was also on an individual level. I believe there are, there are many, not, if not most, or all of the people at Laodicea, he was talking to them. You're lukewarm. You make me want to puke. I think there may have been a remnant there, because God always has a remnant that didn't make him want to puke. And, and should have taken courage and, and, and known that he was there. And, they, and they're, like, they're reminded of how, how it is to have this passionate, vigorous faith and, and be one of those people that are on the hot side, not the cold side. But they're challenging you and I. He's standing at the door. He's trying to get in. It's not only corporate, it's also individual. If anyone, if you, anyone individually would hear, and this is where it needs to get really personal for you and I. You and I need to, to look at this in a, in a way that's not just like, hey, you might be at the door knocking at our church. Will we let him in? He's knocking on the door of your heart. Will you let him in? He stood at the door and knocked, hoping, right, hoping that the Spirit of God uh, would be stirring in, in an unredeemed heart. 
and that that heart would open the door and repent of their sin and turn and put their faith in Jesus Christ. What Jesus was knocking at the door waiting for was a repentant church, repentant person, individual, just one even, to come to know him as Savior. And as Jesus stands and knocks at our door, what is he asking us to do? He's asking us to enter into fellowship and communion with him. You know, we're, we're having and participating today in the Lord's Supper. That's what this is about. The lukewarm would have nothing to do with this. That, uh, I don't need it. I'm good. That's the response. The cold would say, this is weird. But those who, whose hearts burn and have been pierced and their eyes of their hearts have opened to the light of Christ and the treasure that is Christ know that this is everything. This is, and this is the symbol of everything that Jesus offered to us. He said, I, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. I, I'm, my body and my, and my blood will be poured out for you for the forgiveness of sin. And what I've accomplished is worth everything to you. And I just want you to have communion with me and have fellowship with me. Open the door so I might abide with you. That we might draw power and our security from him as well. That we would embrace him as everything we need. I want to read one last passage out of Luke 14. It starts in verse 15. When, uh, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. I, I love that, that analogy. Because one, it means there's, there's a feast in heaven at a banquet table in heaven with God. And I, I can't wait to be at that table and eat whatever's on that table. I, I know it's going to be the choicest, finest foods there are. But this wedding feast of the Lamb, the banquet of the Lamb, is where I want to go. It's where I want to be. But that is only achievable if you and I would have feasted on Christ first. And said, God, what you have done, how you sacrificed your body, how you have spilled and shed your blood for me, I'm going to open the eyes of my heart to that. I'm going to let that pierce my heart. I'm going to exchange my own good deeds, my own actions, my own attitudes, my own preferences, my ideologies, whatever. I'm going to lay them down for you. And in you, I will have everything. I will have forgiveness and a righteousness that I never, ever achieved. And every time on this side of the banquet table, every time on this side, as we participate in the Lord's Supper, I will remember and I will rejoice and I will treasure you all the more. It's not one for the lukewarm. Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he told him this, a man was given a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who were invited. They didn't have an RSVP, apparently. Just come. He, he said, go out and tell them to come. Well, this is very indicative of Jesus standing at the door and knocking. Hey, it's time. It's time. Knock, knock, knock. Hello, McFly. Anyway, come. Every, everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. What did the Laodiceans say? We don't need you. Here's the excuses. First one said, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. I ask that you excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm, trying to, uh, I'm going to try them out. I ask that you excuse me. Another said, I just got married, and therefore I'm unable to come. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, go out quickly to the streets, to the alleys of the city, and bring in the poor, the maimed, the blind, and 
lame. This is a, a real image of, of our depravity, right? And we need to be, have spiritual eyes open to see that that's who we are. We need to become poor in spirit. Those who know their own desperation. The others, oh, I've, I, don't, I don't need you, Jesus. I, hey, I'm sure someone else could benefit from that seat. Go, go check with them. Do you really want to say that to Jesus? He's saying, hey, come and be part of my banquet. I want you in heaven with me forever. Uh, I, I just got married. I'm kind of busy right now. That, this guy is available. I, I don't want to give up my seat. I don't want to, I, so Jesus, he says, go out into the streets and the alleys. He, he keeps knocking and bring in the poor and the maimed and the blind and the lame. Master, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done. And there's still room. There's still room. Those lukewarmers. Then the master told the servant, uh, go out to the highways and the hedges and make them come in so that my house might be filled. So Jesus is inviting the, the humble, the poor in spirit, those who are in desperate condition, desperate need, to come and have everything with him. I heard a song this week, and part of it said, it said, we were once your enemy, now I'm seated at your table. Lord, I thank you. And we were, we were enemies of God. And, and in our blindness, we, we said, no, I'm not. I'm good. He'll have to accept me. But as soon as we opened our heart, open the eyes of our heart to see him for who he really is, we can humble ourselves and come to him in faith. So Jesus knocking is a check for us all. It's a check for all of us. He's, he's asking, who are you depending on? Are you depending on yourself, your works, your status, your lineage? For, for those who are cool or cold, it is hopeful, and I said this, that the bitterness and that, and that sting of coldness and the despair of the cold would pierce the core of who they are and that they would repent and believe, putting all their hope in Christ. And if that's you today, I, I pray that's you, that you feel the sting and despair of that bitter cold and know that Jesus is the one who will forgive you. For those that are on fire for your faith, that your, your faith is like, you're the, those annoying ones, right? Your, your faith is on fire. You're excited uh, that Jesus wants close friendship with you and close fellowship with you. And in fact, you're the one that is, is eagerly prepared. Like, you know, you don't have to be reminded he's knocking on the door, get the door, right? You, you have the go bag packed. It's by the front door, the front door is flung wide open. And you're like, whenever he comes, man, I'm ready. I'm re he's coming. I, I can't wait to be close to Jesus. I can't wait to have what he offers. Because you know that apart from him, you can do nothing. <clears throat> you already have a place, in fact, set at your table for him. You're welcome here anytime, Jesus. You can have the best recliner. You can have the master suite. I'll sleep on the floor. I just want to be with you. That's the, those hot. For the lukewarm this Jesus knocking on the door, it has to be a wake-up call. It has to be a wake-up call. See, the lukewarm are those who go to the door and, and they, they peek around like, what's your name again? Who, who are you here for? Hey, did anyone know Jesus? He's here to see, I, I don't know, I didn't order any DoorDash. I, I mean, I don't know why you're here. No, no, we're good, we're not buying anything. Hey, no, please go away. You see the attitude of the heart of the lukewarm? That, that's what you're doing. And if you're indifferent to Jesus, it is not a good place for you to be. 
you're missing the point if you don't open the door and let him in because you're missing Jesus. So my, my encouragement to you is this. Don't miss him as he comes and knocks on your door. Be open. Open that door. Let him expose you. Let it hurt a little bit. And let him bring life to make you spiritually rich, spiritually clothed, and spiritually able to see him for who he is. Let him be the treasure. Let, let him, let us, let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Would you stand with me as we pray and prepare ourselves for the Lord's table? Father, I, I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy, for your great love for us. God, it is, it is not your fault that we are stubborn. It is not your fault that we think that we can earn status with you and that, that we are okay. God, it, it's not our fault or not your fault, God, that we, we say, oh, I don't need you. God, expose our hearts. Help us understand how desperately in need of you we actually are. That, God, we would, we would desire to open the door and have fellowship and communion with you. And, Lord, today as we, as we celebrate the, the Lord's table and we, we remember what you have done, God, may it be on our hearts, in our minds, God, on our lips as we sing that you are the greatest treasure we have ever known. And God, we, we have our bags packed and we are ready to go wherever you would send us. We just want to be with you. We want to acknowledge you. We want to remember you. As we approach the Lord's table, we know that it's nothing in our own power that we have achieved. It's all of what Jesus has done for us as he gave his life on that cross for my sin, for our sin. That if we would believe, we would have everlasting life. We thank you for the life we have through repentant faith in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.